throughout our life, we're always involved in change. Throughout our lives, there is the invitation, the possibility of developing. We now know that the brain is always developing. We know that the stages of adult of development include a whole series of adult stages of development. We know that at the time of our ancestors, when they were gathered in caves or in some sort of a little village, and it was a time of darkness on the land, they gathered and told stories and reflected and drew uh, paintings on caves as they were reflecting, as they were reimagining their lives. And lo and behold, all of this time later, here we are. And one of the times that many people, and certainly not everybody by any means, but many people take this end of the year, beginning of the year, really around the solstice is the uh, real point of it, where we're lying fallow, we're in a non-active phase, and we reflect, we reimagine, we open to what might arrive through our stillness, through our imagination, through dream time, this active ima imagination kind of dream time that C.G. Young talks about. And so here we are at, uh, with our resolutions or without our resolutions, but your friends have these resolutions. This is my goal. This is what I want to accomplish. And we pause here to reflect on, well, how does that work? What, what aids it and what makes it worse? I speak of this experience from a, a background that when I am not uh, teaching Dhamma for the last 30-some years, I have been uh, helping people make major changes and transitions in their life, which you can find out about at, at skillfulchange.org. And so I've had the privilege of getting to see how people uh, struggle with change, how they uh, uh, can feel an impulse, but they're not quite sure what that impulse is as to what they want or don't want. That they, Or they do know what they want, but they can't imagine how to get there. And on and on and on. All the things that... Um, uh, can get in each of our way as we we sometimes know what's good for us, but we can't do it. We don't have the discipline, it seems, or we don't have the imagination, or we go about it the wrong way, we lack the skill set, and so forth, and it goes on and on. So let's just take this time of the year, whether you do it or not, and let's just uh, hold this as reflection for a bit here. We, at various points, set new goals for our lives. We somehow do an evaluation or an evaluation is forced upon us. We're fired from our job. Uh, our, our, our significant other leaves us 
or there's a health problem, or we have a, a new opportunity, or we have new confidence, or all of these kinds of things. We've experienced the Dhamma, and that's changed our lives, and we're wanting to move from that. And so what do, what do we do, actually? Sometimes we, we, uh, we are motivated by something not working. There's some, for some reason, something isn't working and that, that motivates us to want to make a change. We are, we are, uh, not being healthy in our diet. We're not resting enough. We are not, uh, we're hanging out with people that one of our frenemies, our friend that's difficult. We spend way too much time with her, him, they, and, uh, we realized you know, actually, this is this is undercutting to me. This person is not supportive of my well-being. I leave every time feeling judged, rejected, uh, less than. So that's what we might experience. Any kind of uh, reason of that isn't working right, and that's our motivation for thinking about change. This kind of motivation is part of catching up with ourselves. And this stillness, the darkness, the pause, it allows us to catch up with ourselves, to get current, to get current with where we are, to have enough space to uh, listen to those aspects of ourselves that we sometimes don't listen to. It's natural enough that we don't. We're busy. We have to survive. Uh, we're dealing with unique circumstances, right? not unique, but uh, special circumstances right now in relation to COVID and so forth. So we take this time and we catch up with ourselves a little. But sometimes that catching up is not about what's wrong, but about uh, possibilities we've discovered that are new things we realize matter to us now that didn't used to matter to us, but they matter now. They matter a lot. Or we never really thought we could do something but now that we've paused, now that we've caught up with ourselves, we realize, oh, no, there is a chance I can do that. And we want to do that. We want to acquire that skill or be able to uh, uh, sing or play the piano or uh, uh, be a mountain trail runner or, or be a kinder person. Because we now believe it's possible for us to be a kinder person to not be so negative in our thoughts about ourselves or others. And so that's a very strong motivation to make change. And then a third dimension of that is there, there dawns on us, there arises, uh, you could call it insight, you could call it uh, grace, you could call it intuition, uh, but a kind of knowing. This is something that's right for me. This I need in my life. Or, the, the, or this kind of rebalancing in my life I need. Or uh, having this view of my life I've held for this last number of years, it's no longer serving me. And it's, it's, there's, there's not a, it's not coming from the thinking mind particularly. It's just arising as something being known. 
So for each of these reasons, we, uh, we consider change and we come into some sort of conscious relationship with embracing change. And as we do this, uh, we, we may create goals. And this time of year, people talk about goals or this is my intentions or the favorite of, of, of in the uh, uh, general society is these are my resolutions. Resolutions. What does that mean? These are my resolutions. It would come from this word resolve. But then what is resolve? You know, what is resolve? If you treat that word seriously, that's a very big deal. I'm resolved. That would mean that you have a, a kind of commitment to it that is uh, unswerving. They, one of the paramis, one of the perfections that's called, that, uh, that's in the Buddha Dharma, is that of resolve. And uh, I call it persistence, rather, that's the, the fruit of resolve is persistence in the classic teaching. The Buddha did not teach the paramis, but these, uh, the, the, the monastic community over a period of time selected these as certain what they call perfections, but which I much prefer to refer to them as attainments rather than perfections. So you're attaining capacity rather than getting perfect. Someone getting perfect is like, who's getting perfect? What is a perfection? That language makes me uncomfortable. So I refer to them as attainments. So here we are with these, these, um, these new priorities. Maybe resolve is, uh, a word we have to work our way into if we don't think of them as resolutions, but resolve. Maybe we go, oh, maybe I've got to understand more about what is what empowers change if I'm going to claim resolve. And um, uh, one of the things that we do is we first say, well, this is my goal. And we use goals and intentions um, Equally, we use them as meaning the same thing. But in Buddhist psychology, in the Eightfold Path that the Buddha taught, wise intention is not a goal. It's a here and now resolve to do in this moment. We are summoning in this moment. Goals are in the future. My goal is to uh, be a kind person. That's an open-ended time. Being kind here and now is an intention. And so as we maybe understand a little more clearly intent versus a goal, we can implement towards the change we wish in a, in a more effective way, a more ongoing way. One of the problems with goals uh, is that... Uh, we can have, make them so, not problems exactly, a better word would be challenge. One of the challenges with goals is we can make them so big that we're building in our own defeat. And we lack the modesty. We are not trained 
in being modest. We're not trained in a kind of steady, steady, steady uh, becoming other than we were in some way. Buddha Dharma so teaches us that. Patience, patience, patience. Patience and resolve are needed to balance one another. And the size of the imagination isn't the problem. It's that we then expect it to fall into a certain place. And so we, we start with a kind of um, uh, determination, maybe. But in that determination, there can be so often an expectation of ourselves that we're going to do this. And what's amazing is we can have expectations we're going to do it this year when we've had that same expectation last year or three different times or five different years and it hasn't happened. But we're here to go. Say it again. Or maybe we need a little more beginner's mind. Maybe we need to consider a little more uh, uh, what what is really possible for us, what is skillful means. And maybe there needs to be this uh, wonderful term that has come out of Korean Buddhism of don't know mind. Don't know mind. This is something that I feel would be a useful change. Is that true? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm really committed to finding out. Will I be able to find out? I don't know. I don't know. But what? But I can have the intention moment to moment. I can engage in the process. I can engage with my goals as practice rather than as resulting. And so we start to have maybe a relationship with our experience that is more um, balanced. That participant observer that we looked at in our meditation, we, we are balanced in the participant observer. And we're seeing it as practice and the wholesomeness of practice because practice is what? Practice is values-based. Whether it's, as, as I said in the alignment, the, the first part of the meditation, whether it's aligned with Buddhist terminology or whether it's based on you aligning with love or uh, your commitment to being a better person, to being a kinder person, whatever it may be aligned with, it, it, it is aligned with something that is bigger than any given result. And so that you are, you are bhavana, you're practicing bhavana, this uh, becoming that is a wholesome becoming. Uh, that is the, the first in the Dhamma we're taught, we're taught sila and generosity, sila and dana. And then the bhavana, we're taught the practice of, of developing mindfulness and concentration and the Brahma Viharas and so forth. So there's, a, you, you are, you, you, what are you putting your faith in? Not a result, but in your uh, repeated alignment with that which you value, this perspective. And this can be about anything from losing weight to cleaning out your closets to, uh, 
ceasing to be a person who is less than totally truthful, to being uh, to being a person who uh, places much more attention on their own seal or their own ethical behavior, or any other things that is in the context that we're speaking here about about wholesome versus unwholesome. We're assuming in our conversation that, that our goals, as far as we know, are wholesome, or at least somewhat wholesome. And in that way, we can we can examine this. So as we as we start to see that intention is each moment, then we know how to practice through our mindfulness to being present in this this moment. Mindfulness has as an aspect of its capacity uh, the function of remembering. This is somewhat many different views about remembering this word smirti. Uh, but uh, for me, at least in my experience, and I really can't see how it works without the capacity of remembering, but that we, so we have an intention, the mindfulness allows us to remember, oh, this is my intention, and to keep that memory going so that we can stay present in it. So uh, the uh, uh, Intention and mindfulness, sati, uh, are and sati, or are they are they are joined at the hips for to really have an effective uh, relationship with that which we uh, have declared as our goals. We need both of these, and my goodness, can you find a better way of acquiring them than through practicing in the in this tradition? You know where over and over again we're reminded and reminded and pointed to and given permission. And so uh, taking what may be a mundane goal or a, quote, secular goal in your life or a more refined, more aspiring goal uh, and applying the principles of practice in what we learn. Very, very powerful to do this. Very, very powerful. A word that uh, I use in my own personal practice is aspiration. So I'm um, uh, uh, when I think of wise view, the first of the eight uh, aspects of the Eightfold Path, the Buddha's way to the end of suffering, I think of wise view leading me to a wise aspiration. And it is from the aspiration, this larger aspiration, that I evaluate uh, all the smaller goals that I have and, and weigh them in relation to the wise, is it a wise relationship to my aspiration? And then and my challenge then is to remember what, that, that my, what I aspire to as to why this intention is like it is. And that is the lifting that the Dharma gives us. When I say lifting, it means that our ego, our poor overtaxed ego with all of its responsibilities, does not have to carry that. 
not alone. That we are, we're involved, we're in a feeling tone, a value-based system that provides part of the support. It is part of the, that is, which is ongoing. You know, the, the chariot moving, the wheels that make the chariot move. It is this higher, um, aspiration that, that creates that, that feeling, uh, of, of, of movement in this way. I recently asked uh, uh, a series of uh, young people, young by my standards, uh, people in their their late twenties, uh, if they were optimistic, and um, uh, I was so pleased to hear that they really were optimistic. They really felt optimistic about the future. Uh, and with while acknowledging you know things they were worried about, but still optimistic. In the same way, if we create resolutions, if we create uh, uh, you know intentions, whatever word you want to use, uh, you you um, are are you optimistic? Can you feel the optimism of that? How do you know when you are uh, optimistic? Uh, what's really going on? So you you do this resolution. Is it a should? Should is it a wish? Shoulds are not so effective for change, I've noticed. And again, really in close with so many people for so many years. And not to mention that I've trained all of these people to also be change strategists. So I, again, I'm speaking, I'm sharing my experience. It's not like the Buddha's whispering in my ear. It's more like I'm reporting from the trenches or the street of life in terms of this. And, and so... Uh, uh, Really to understand if we if we are wanting to make a change, what are we being? Sometimes when we say that we are that we are hopeful, that uh, we are optimistic, uh, we are we're coming from a, a place that uh, really is tinged with expectations that. Uh, 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 it's um, we we are really we think we should do this. Therefore, we're doing it because it's expected. We expect it of ourselves, or it would be great if it did happen. And so it's a kind of wish thing. But uh, that kind of expectation can very easily fall into uh, what I call the tyranny of expectations. And on your uh, resources page for tonight, you can find an article that I wrote many, many years ago. Shows you how long I've been dealing with this subject. And you can also find it in uh, my book, Emotional Chaos to Clarity. If you no reason to have to do that, just read the article, which is uh, freely available. 
Uh, and so what we see is that oftentimes we have carried around or let this uh, this feeling of of expectations have an overbalanced sense in our life. So we're not really hoping, we're expecting. We're expecting that we're going to be able to do it or we expect that we should or we somehow magically thinking around expectation or then we are this person where we know we fail over and over again because we, we're, we're, we're not appraising ourselves in, an, in a balanced, accurate way because we're so caught in our expectation or worse still, someone else's expectations of us that we have bought into. So we want to be a little careful about that and notice our expectations. You know, the, um, the, uh, the uh, Latin for uh, optimism comes from this, this, this word of optimum, and it, it translates as best. And I like that. So uh, when I'm interacting with someone, uh, either in a practice discussion uh, on a retreat, or here with you as a group, as a community, we're all in community together. Uh, uh, my aspiration is towards the optimum, the best outcome. And that is true in sharing these reflections with you. Uh, I don't know what is the best outcome for not even one single person here. But I can hold as what is possibility that each person may find something that is the best they could find as we explore this together. So in my own work with people, I very much move away from uh, this expectation to holding possibility. Holding possibility gives us hope it can uh, exist even without that much optimism. But if there's optimism, it's even more effective. Because possibility is just recognizing that it may be possible. And it may be possible for me with all my shortcomings. So we hold the possibility. We hold possibility for ourselves and in making a resolution, making a declaration of intent, we are holding the possibility that that may be true, that we can do this. But it does not, the success of that experience is not solely based on the outcome, but what we learn along the way, how we acted, how much integrity we had along the way, and what we gained from the very experience itself. That's practice. That's practice. And that's why the power is uh, the empowerment, the movement towards uh, uh, non-suffering from suffering is in that way. One of the requirements that in those lists that I talked about, one of the things that's required is faith. That's, that's one of these wholesome qualities and in the spiritual faculties is faith and so forth. And so what is faith but holding possibility? I've, I've said on retreat after retreat, faith 
is does not mean that you know it will happen, but that it might happen. And it might be possible. And what you're doing is you're giving yourself over to exploring that possibility because that's a wholesome choice. And you know that in doing this, there will be a, 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 a refinement, a purification, as we sometimes refer in, in, in our tradition, a, a purification. I sometimes refer to it as the purification of the motive. Less grasping, less aversion, less delusion, less restless fretting mind, less less sloth and torpor mind. That there's a that we're interacting from ever more uh, mindful uh, Brahma Vihara, loving kindness, etc. Kind of space. So uh, when we look at these resolutions we're taking in this way, we see that oh. There's much more to this than maybe we thought when we're doing our New Year's resolutions. We're being part of a of our of our ancestors, that we're we're reflecting their relationship to the times of stillness, the times of pause. We are we are we are understanding uh, the wise relationship to to our liberation in relation to being resolute. And we're learning, we're learning how we can be psychologically more healthy in relation to uh, the changes in our lives. And we're participating uh, in adult stage development in a more full way. So uh, with all of these, uh, these combinations of these things, uh, um, maybe go back and think about it more, reflect on, be available to say, how do I hold my resolutions as practice? What, what will empower me to hold my resolutions as practice? A reflection for the first Monday night Sangha of the year 2022. And now I'd like to, to take a few comments or questions if anyone would like to make a comment or a question, please make them short questions or comments so that we can have more people get to have their voice in. And if it goes on too long, I'll just sort of interrupt you. <laughs> but please. And the way you do this is by raising your, the, and, and, and your screen, raise your hand. I think that's what we're doing, isn't it, Ileana? Victoria, you can uh, unmute. Um, it was very um, synchronistic, if that's a word. Because uh, I was just having this conversation um, earlier this afternoon with um, with a, a psychologist, and what um, in reflecting on this this the difference between resolution and aspiration. Um, we got into a conversation about what is the difference, wh where do you draw the line between um, discipline and compulsion or um, it's sort of in the context of self-compassion that, that being becoming too tyrannical sort of because um, I was telling her about my New Year's resolutions, but I was already feeling the tyranny of those resolutions that 
you know, it's only we're, I'm three days in and I'm already exhausted, you know, <laughs> and, yes. and, and somehow resentful, but, but I've made those resolutions myself. So um, where, where I struggle is in um, because where, where is the line between self-compassion and self-indulgence? So it's a sort of um, the same thing as the discipline versus mm-hmm. um, versus, uh you know, being compulsive about, about following yeah. a certain regime. And with practice, it's very much for me like that, that this, a, a kind of um, reluctance to do it regularly, that kind of thing. You've made my day with that question. <laughs> so that is a perfect example of the tyranny of expectations. It's the tyranny of expectations. And there's some part in each of us that, uh, is that taskmaster. And some of us have it a lot and some of us a little, somewhere, some of us in just some parts of our life, others and a large number of parts of their lives. And uh, what I would invite you to do is first of all, acknowledge that that's tyranny. Just and say, this is tyranny and I will not support tyranny. (laughs) Forgetting that it's you right now. But as a value, we, 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 you know, we, we, throughout the world, we have all these people who seek to be a tyrant to including us, you know, over us. So, so what, so can an inner part of us cease to be a tyrant, want to be a tyrant, seek to be, and we want that to cease. And so we, first of all, that we declare our values. So we're, we've, we're available so we can see this. And we align with our values and we go, no, no, I'm not going to do resolutions like this. I won't do them if it's like this. And then you, you locate and you can just say to that, which has this, this tyrant within me, you can say, I want to know you better. And it may turn out that it's not you at all, but it's mom or someone else. <laughs> but you say no. And, but you, you're not hating that part of you. You're actually quite kind as you say, you know, I understand your fear. I understand, you know, how you think this is going to make it okay. But it's not going to make it okay now. You were really helpful at one time, but not now. Not now. And then when that feeling comes, you go, not now. Not now. And you're much more interested in freeing yourself from that uh, that expectation you described so beautifully, then you are when you're what you're to achieve. That what you're achieving, what you, what your resolution was, becomes the means to free yourself from this. You see what I'm saying to you? I just lost you in that lesson. <laughs> so as you as you realize how much that tyrant that that the tyranny of expectations as a mindset, as a identity, quote identity, uh, you know, an inner identity is, is in your way is actually shading the experiences of your life in lots of other ways. You realize, oh, I really want to do my resolution, but what a great chance to practice saying no to that tyrant. So you're very happy and you hope that you get your resolution, but any movement in relation to your, the balance of that in your life is wow. I mean, like, wow, you know, but we want to be finished with these things as best we can, uh, while, while we're alive this round. <laughs> so, uh, um, uh, 
so the invita- the invitation would be to to look at it that way that you that you can you can see you can see this is a wholesome goal. I'm going to do my best to practice it. But when I see when I see Mara arising as an expectation, uh, I will go. I see you, Mara, just as the Buddha did, because that's what the the Mara did to the Buddha. Why are you doing this? Why are you sitting here thinking that you're supposed to get liberated when you could be out helping so many people with all your capacities? You know, shame on you. (laughs) And uh, that was his hardest. That was his last one uh, of the the things he was tempted with. So um, um, uh, then you're involved in a larger purpose in your life. You see what I mean by that? It's a larger purpose. Well, I don't know how big your resolution is that you were talking about with your friend, but that doesn't matter. This is this is a larger. This is a cuts across these different aspects of your life, and that and so the the balance between tyranny and discipline is when it becomes oppressive. Discipline is not oppressive. It is not oppressive. We do this over and over again in retreat. It should not feel horrible to practice. <laughs> that's your expectations, you know, that's that's making hard practice. You're just being available in practice. Sometimes you have a great sense. Sometimes it's lousy. Sometimes a whole retreat never goes anywhere. It's just all practice. So this view of practice and if you're what, that, that intelligent part of you that knows Suffering that's imposed suffering recognizes no, this is oppression. This is, this is not discipline. And you, but you, you employ wise means, skillful means for discipline. Like, okay, I'm going to set a schedule or these are the five ways I can affect whatever my resolution is. And I, and you, you write down and you keep a track record and all of those. That's, I'm not getting into that level with you tonight, but you see what I mean? And then you take what you get. And when you're not doing well, you go, oh, it's okay, honey. It's okay. It's fine, you know. Tomorrow, you will start again. You don't let yourself get... It's, it's, not, it's not sustainable as a means of change. It's because it's, it's, it's too undercutting of empowerment, that kind of tyranny thing. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wendy, you can unmute. You're unmuted. Okay. Hi. So um, I, uh, right around the solstice, my brother got, he got COVID and he he wasn't vaccinated. He he lives in Mexico for a, a large part of the year. And I was incredibly worried about him, but I was also so angry because he knows better. He's a doctor, you know? I mean, he, his whole, like, uh, in, his whole way that he was thinking was really bizarre. Like, I felt like he joined some weird cult or something, you know? And he knows better. And, like, I was so upset and I, I sent him a text and told him how much I loved him. I really thought he was going to die. He was really sick. And then this anger was coming out of somewhere. And then I realized that the anger wasn't um, doing anything for me. 
and it was keeping me away from him. I didn't even want to talk to him. So I was able to work through it. And then I had this incredible conversation with him where we just talked about like, you know, I talked about how much I loved him and how I was really concerned he was going to die and that I know he is going to die. But, um, you know, there had been a whole series of things over this holiday. And like, I felt like I wasn't ready. And that, you know, I also, I, you know, his choices were just really hard to understand. But like, I had lost the anger. And like, it was so great. I mean, because I realized that anger was just pushing me in this direction that I didn't want to go. Like, I might not, not even talk to him about it. You know, so it wasn't an intention or anything, but it just was something that was really strong for me. And like, I did a, I did Sylvia's um, uh, workshop on the first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, I realized like this anger is just not serving me at all or him. So that anger, uh, the anger, uh, we get anger sometimes as a defense. Because if we, we if we weren't angry, we might fall apart. You know, we think we will fall apart. It's too much. Where anger is a safer emotion than sadness or something else. It yeah. can also be uh, we can be identified with the person, or we can be angry at ourselves, and it is us in such a way that we again, this is from a Buddhist point of view about it. That uh, the the selfing that we're doing is is causing this kind of um, a diluted uh, response, and then uh, the other thing about the anger is that there is a hidden demand often in anger, mm-hmm. and yeah. the, where, what is the where does the demand come from? An expectation. You're smart. You shouldn't do something like that. You know better than that. Where are your brains? <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. And so uh, the the yeah. mystery of a human being is something we have to live with in this dual realm, and oftentimes it's the very it's pointing to some existential feeling that's too scary for us. No, people who are yeah. trained doctors won't do something like this. The world's got to be more yeah. orderly. And I know so, and he's always been like you know so together and so. Right. Yeah. So you you want to you want to use this in reflection to learn from yourself for yourself and like okay what what can I learn from this in all of my relationships including with myself where I when a, a brief feeling of anger can be useful or needed or so forth as I said but to have sustained anger you know it's uh, so. Um, uh, and again, we're not hating anger. We're seeing. We're looking for wise relationship. Uh-huh. We're not. We're not turning. We're not getting angry about anger. Right. That's, that's that's obviously not going anywhere. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Philip, we have a um, request in the chat for you to repeat the article that you previously mentioned. The tyranny of expectations, which I think you have put in the, how much you? Uh, did you? Did I ask you to put the tyranny? Of I will re. I will reshare it. Okay, tyranny of expectations, and there's also my book on emotional chaos to clarity, which deals with a lot of these same points, including starting your day with clarity. 
uh, if, if that's of any use to you. And there's lots of other material you could put on my on the on your resources, uh, skillfulchange.org and dharmawisdom.org, my two websites. Ben, you can unmute. Hi, Philip. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. And to everyone. Um, so, intention. Yes. Um, when it I, I don't make resolutions, but I do look at what might be useful in this year, in this time, to improve in terms of how I live. Um, and the simple idea of or organization comes to me because my external life, if I'm not organized, affects my internal life because mm -hmm. things, things are muddled. Mm -hmm. Things are, they're made more difficult. Um, and I, I realize that um, intention is kind of a, a, a larger circle. Um, and there's a, a process I, I have from another tradition that I've been a part of, another lineage, that focuses on trying to bring all the different parts together to create um, steps and, and to say, to ask myself, will I do this? Yes or no? And, and, and then really in my heart, kind of come into presence and listen for an answer, uh, kind of on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. um, and I know from discriminating wisdom or whatever little there is in me that to try to do too much is not a good idea, is not wise. So little steps um, is is something that's in front of me. So that's kind of where I'm going in this year. Um, how does how does that fit into what you understand? Uh, I would say good for you. Little steps. You're taking in the whole as best you can, and uh, you are you are going towards more simple. That's you know the monastic life is built around protecting from complexity because we we all get muddled around the complexity including me i'm not speaking as someone above this in any <laughs> means so uh but we we practice in the circumstances we're in and uh for you to make it simple and uh modest and be gathering of the whole as best you can and then you become available you're available for how this unfolds because you've equipped yourself as best you're able and you, you're available to be present and, uh, and you, therefore you're available and aligned in your life. And then, then after that, you receive the experience. You're available for the unfolding and uh, we have a little bit of freedom in there, uh, but it's a little bit, so we don't want to get carried away. <laughs> it's very modest, but in my experience, you know, in 40 years now of all of this, that little bit of experience makes all the difference in the world, that little bit of choice, that little bit of choice. And however we find it, and it seems like you're finding it in a very 
wholesome way. So I just go, hooray. Fair forward, Voyager. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. One last one, please, and then we'll we'll uh, call it an evening. Well, if there's no more volunteers, oh, there's one. Rosalind, you can unmute. Hi, Philip. I just have a thing, a little bit of choice. Why can't you have a big choice? Well, there's all sorts of, of, of psychologists and scientists and all of this have spent the last 40 years uh, of creating all this documentation, why we are such conditioned beings. And um, uh, uh, that's why I say it that way in part because you know there all of that kind of material, uh, but uh, I actually don't think the Buddhist teachings work if there's no choice. So uh, it, it is my experience that I, I've uh, 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 there's a teacher in India where I sat in his with him for a week, and he was the best expository of uh, of there is no choice, there is no freedom. And I'm sitting there going, wow, you know. <laughs> and he really does it well, R Ramesh, R-A-M-E-S-H. I, I may have, that's close to right spelling. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, uh, it is my experience that there is freedom. Uh, and I, I, I'm well aware of all the ways that it's said otherwise by all sorts of different people. And uh, you, you, uh, Think of a little, the size of impact doesn't mean the size of the capacity necessarily, but how well the capacity you have is utilized. And uh, I mean, the, the, uh, uh, this is why the multiple lifetimes teachings and all this too, but I don't want to get off on that. But so like, uh, and if, if you think it, there can be major choice, then just take the small choice then. Since you've got, since you believe there's major choice, just go, oh, I'm going to be really small. That surely will be something I can stay with and see how that works. <laughs> well, I really appreciate it. I'm going to work with this because I've never heard anyone now go into that place and see if there's a little bit of choice there. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I, but now I'm going to, no, I, you're right. I think Good. Go explore. And that's A.E. Yeah. Pasico. Come see for yourself. That's yeah. the Buddha's whole, uh, that's his, his, his he, he's not saying, believe this, da, 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 da. Come see for yourself what's true. Yeah. So I'll leave all of you then with this, uh, um, this little three-part thing about freedom that I teach. The first part is that we we learn to see the the difference between uh, that first. Well, let me say blah, 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 blah. first we start to be able to recognize suffering, and that means that we can see that there the difference between suffering and non-suffering. And as I say in Dancing with Life, the opposite of suffering is not happiness. It's non-suffering because it cannot look like happiness, but it is non-suffering. 
Uh, that's in the first section of chapter three or four, something like that. You can read it online. Um, um, so we recognize that we recognize, we learn to recognize the difference between suffering and non-suffering. We re- oh, this is suffering. Oh, I do know this is suffering. It's very exciting right now. It tastes really good, but this is suffering. I've been down this path many a times. This is suffering, no matter how good it tastes now. So that's the, that's the first level of wisdom. And then the second level of wisdom is to realize that I have a choice sometimes to choose non-suffering over suffering. That I really, I have some degree of faith, going back to that word of faith, that I can choose non-suffering over suffering sometime. And I don't know if this time's that or not, but how do I find out? I choose non-suffering as best I'm able, and I see what happens. So, uh, uh, recognizing suffering and non-suffering, recognizing that there is the choice or possibility of choice, and then choosing, choosing. And this is where the discipline, this is where regular practice comes in. And this so relates to your resolutions, which I hope are about doing, moving you away from suffering to non-suffering. We don't choose, even when we recognize that there's choice. What? That can't be true. Just watch yourself. I, I watch me. I watch me perfectly well knowing that opening the refrigerator at midnight is suffering. I absolutely know it. I will say it out loud to myself. This is suffering. <laughs> and I don't choose non-suffering at times. And I can tell you all the reasons why, da 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 but essentially that's what I'm doing. I'm failing to choose. So just having wisdom to recognize is not enough. If you, I can't go off on that, that'd take us 30 minutes. But, but this, so knowing, recognizing, recognizing what is suffering, not suffering, recognizing you have a choice and recognizing you must choose, that it is a volitional act. And that it's very volitionalness is you finding your freedom. And every time you practice wholesome volition, you are moving that little bit more towards freedom. And the universe as a whole has less suffering in it. Just not opening that refrigerator door, not saying this thing to your difficult sibling that you know is, is, you know, that although your sibling's pushing your buttons, not doing that, not saying that difficult thing, there's less suffering in the universe. So you are serving the whole as well as your own well-being. With this, let us, let us stop and just have a moment here of silence. May the Dharma be our guide. May we walk through this year in a way that minimizes the suffering to others and that insofar as our wholesome actions have benefit, may they benefit not just ourselves, but our loved ones and everyone with whom we come in contact. Any merit that arises from our practice, from this evening of practice, 
we offer that merit to all beings without discrimination, without demand. May all beings find the path that leads to the end of suffering. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.